I'll ask you to be patient with my voice this morning as our whole house has been nursing colds for the last couple of weeks. So if you hear any truth this morning, that would be from the Holy Spirit, and any heresy, that would be the Dayquil talking. Let's pray. God, source of all light, by your word, you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. For to your people, by your grace, has been given the secret of your kingdom. Amen. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, a couple of verses that we read last week we repeat. Verses 10 through 12, and then a new section, verses 21 through 25. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the last three weeks, we've eavesdropped on Jesus' conversations with individuals and with crowds and with his disciples, small group of 12 and larger groups. And what sort of things do we hear Jesus say? Well, the first week he said something like, the labor that we do in the Lord and the labor we do for the Lord is a grace. So don't complain about doing more labor than others might do. And the second week we heard something like, one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Instead, wealth is defined as richness toward God. And then last week, Listen to the word of God with a soft and undistracted, receptive heart and bear fruit. But those aren't the memorable things, are they? See, Jesus finds a different way of communicating all of those truths. He says it this way the first week a master of a house went out early to hire laborers for his vineyard. And the second week, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And last week, a farmer went out to sow seed. And because Jesus, in the middle of telling a parable about a sower, 
pauses to tell his disciples about what the purpose of parables actually is, we pause today in the middle of this sermon series to talk about what parables are meant to do. What do they communicate? Why doesn't Jesus just use normal, plain, everyday propositional language? Instead, he uses parables. And is there a reason for it? Well, if someone were to ask you, what is a parable, how would you respond? Jesus gives these words, paraphrasing the words of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those who are outside, everything is in parables so that they may be ever seeing but not perceiving. They may be ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So notice, a parable cannot be defined as a simple tale with a moral or the definition that I was taught, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus' definition is far more complicated. It's more functional, it's more surprising, and it's more disturbing than those other definitions. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they see but not perceive, they hear but they don't understand, so that they will not turn and be forgiven? See, there's something about the nature of parables that illuminate certain truths to certain people. But to others, they function to dull the understanding. To those outside, everything is in parables, so that perception and understanding is dulled, and they would not turn and be forgiven. See, parabolic language always involves a mystery, a secret. There's something hidden, lying beneath, within. So I'm using the word secret, uh, secret generally at the beginning of this sermon. Anything that is beyond our understanding. There are two things Jesus emphasizes about the nature of this secret. Firstly, these secrets belong to God. These secrets belong to God. And secondly, God delights to reveal these secrets. These secrets belong to God. And secondly, God delights to reveal these secrets. Because these secrets belong to God, we come to know them only in God's way. We can't sneak behind God's back to see what kind of cards he's holding. We can't calculate or figure the moves he hasn't decided to disclose. See, parables are a humiliatingly simple reminder, simple little children's stories, that we cannot understand God's mysteries unless we do it his way by faith. And the best example of this comes from the only place in the Old Testament where this word secret, it's the Greek word mysterion, where we get the word mystery, the only place in the Old Testament where this word is used in the book of Daniel. It's embedded in a narrative where the pagan Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has had a dream. And it's a mystery what this dream means. Who would interpret this dream for him? And so they call Daniel forward. He needs Daniel's help to interpret the dream. But what does Daniel say? 
Can he interpret mysteries? Does he have the keys to these secrets? No. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king what the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in these latter days. Well, what was that dream about? It was about a kingdom, a kingdom that endures forever, a kingdom that is eternal and will never be destroyed. It's the secret of the kingdom of God. And Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and declares, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, the discloser of mysteries. And note how this whole story points out the futility of smarting your way to understanding. These secrets belong to God, and we understand them only in God's way. We can't magic our way or smart our way to understanding the kingdom. You can't figure and calculate your way to understanding the kingdom. Understanding depends on what Daniel demonstrates, faith and submission. And parables really serve to separate those who hear with faith and those who don't. Parables are the ice-breaking, dividing bow of Jesus' preaching. Such simple images that cause such confusion and stubbornness. And such love and trust. We noted that Jesus paraphrases one of the early chapters of Isaiah when he says, They may be ever seeing but not perceiving. They may be ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And this afternoon, it's worth comparing this passage to Isaiah chapter 6 when you get home. And look at how the language has changed just a little bit over years and years of interpretation. See, the language is very causative in the book of Isaiah. It sounds like this. The Lord tells Isaiah, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The image is of one with their eyes covered and ears stopped. If you've read the book of Acts, you might be thinking of Stephen's martyrdom when the Jewish Sanhedrin, the ruling council, hears Stephen testify to Jesus Christ, and because they don't like what they hear, they shout in loud voices and stop up their ears and kill Stephen. The truths of parables are too simple, too bold, too convicting, except to be received by faith. Parables show us that these secrets belong to God, and they can only be understood in God's way. Secondly, and this is good news, God delights to share his secrets. Why would anyone bring a lamp into a dark house just to put it under a basket or under a bed? The whole point is to illuminate the house. The point of these mysteries of the kingdom of God is that God would reveal them 
He delights to reveal them. Let's start with this question. When Jesus says to his parables, to you has been given the secret, notice, singular, secret of the kingdom, what is he referring to? Here, I believe Jesus has something specific in mind, and it's helpful to look at the rest of the New Testament to interpret what it might be. Paul, the apostle, talks more about mystery than any other author in the New Testament, especially in the little books of Ephesians and Colossians. And generally, the secret or the mystery is referring to the core of the gospel. It refers to the purposes of God's will centered in Jesus Christ that is now understood by those who have been reborn by the Spirit of God. And for Christians, for those disciples that Jesus is speaking to, the secret of the kingdom has been disclosed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries, the secrets of God that he has revealed. Also in Ephesians 1, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. He loves to share with us the secret of the kingdom. It's worth remembering, and sometimes we forget this as we page through the New Testament, that all of Paul's letters would have been in circulation by the time Mark writes his gospel. So we can presume upon Paul's theology as we read Mark. Jesus is encouraging his disciples in their basic understanding. He's saying, you know the secret of the kingdom of God. It's been revealed to you. And yet, the disciples still have a long road of understanding what that means. The secret has been revealed, but the implications will slowly be disclosed along their journey of discipleship. So now we're getting a sense that there's two aspects of the secrets of the kingdom. First, just a basic trust in the gospel. But second, an increasing understanding of the implications of Jesus' lordship. Jesus has said that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to some, and yet it seems like there's still more that he's planning to reveal. This is true. This is why we come first to a knowledge and trust of the self-giving love of God in Jesus Christ that demands our total surrendered life. But then the rest of our lives, we're coming to understand the implications of that love. So what does this mean for our hearing of the word of God? Well, when we come to understand the Father's love and to trust him, but then we plunk ourselves before our Bibles or before the preached word, and certainly we can't understand all the passages of Scripture. None of us can. Do we set Scripture aside and say, I can't understand what God's talking about. These mysteries are beyond my comprehension. No, it's just the opposite. Those things that are beyond our understanding, we make a commitment to read again in faith, and we will come to understand. Imagine a child who receives a letter from her father. 
And the letter is full of messages of love to his daughter. But there are some things that the child just simply cannot comprehend. Does she set those sentences aside? I don't really understand what daddy's talking about. No, certainly she'll say, but I'll read it again. I understand that he loves me. So even though I don't understand these sentences, I'll hear them again. And when we read the scriptures, when we encounter passages beyond our comprehension, we say to ourselves, I can't make sense of this part still, but I believe my heavenly father loves me and he desires that I understand of all of what he said to me. So I'll read it again. And in coming to read it again and again in faith, we find sentences that once had no meaning for us have gained deep, rich, life-giving importance in our lives. And those sentences build a foundation of comprehension as we encounter other mysterious passages. And we say, I do not understand what my father's talking about, but I trust that he loves me, and I'll read it again. So what Jesus tells us is, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Pay attention, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and get this, and still more will be added. God has purpose for us to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Who will light a lamp to keep it under a basket or under a bed? The whole point of a light is that it illuminates all things. And God has purposed that all of what he has hidden will be revealed, that his secret will be made known. See, in this game of hide and seek, God wants to be found. He delights to reveal his secrets. And we know this to be true, especially by what he says next. To the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. To the one who hears, even more desire for hearing will come to that person. We may not like this, but we can attest to its truth in our lives. If you listen regularly to the preached word of God, you desire the preached word of God. Alternatively, those who are tired of preaching are often the ones who don't hear it. Those who reject the Bible are those who don't often read it. This is the great danger that Jesus exposes in this verse. Spiritual velocity increases exponentially in both directions. To the one who has a desire, his engine is growing in size and speed at the same time. But to the one who has resistance, the same happens, but in the opposite direction. Do you know how hypothermia works? Allow me, as a northerner, to educate you San Diegans. As a person gets colder, the effects of hypothermia come on gradually at first, shivering, slurred speech. But then confusion of thinking sets in, which may be the most threatening step, because then the person doesn't know she's getting colder. 
systems start to shut down. And the last thing she thinks she needs is a change in her environment. Haven't we all, being out of the habit of worship, thought to ourselves, there are so many other things that I need to get done before I have time for that on a Sunday? Haven't we all, after a long time since opening God's word, thought, God never really speaks to me in that way anyway. Haven't we all thought, after a long time since prayer, there's no way God wants to hear from me now? Spiritual hypothermia is setting in. Systems are shutting down. But our first to go is our self-awareness. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And then we hear Jesus' words sinking in like a warm breath in our bones, thawing us. What if we turn? What if we move toward him? C.S. Lewis says, if you want to get warm, come near the fire. What would the Father's reaction be to that? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more will be given. To the one who has, more will be added. Are you willing to take a risk in faith to move toward the fire? You'll find your life thawed out and catching flame in a measure that cannot be compared with the tiny effort you made. Do we think that God is withholding? That it, it's burdensome for God to share his mind, his thoughts with us, his kingdom with us? Luke chapter 12 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is your good pleasure? On a free Saturday afternoon, how do you want to spend it? Working on your car with your nose in a book? coffee with a friend, time at the beach. The Father's good pleasure is to give us the kingdom. It's what he dreams about. What is the Father's good pleasure for us shuffling our feet, lowered eyes, weak of faith, timid of heart? He enfolds us in a fatherly embrace. What a good, good father. Friends, we give an inch he brings us a mile. He delights to reveal the secrets of the kingdom with us. In closing, I want to share how one day in college I decided that I was going to take a risk and contact a trombone teacher that I thought might give me a lesson. And so I emailed this teacher in Seattle and I said, maybe uh, if you'd have free time, Mr. Trombone, Love to get a lesson with you. And so I showed up very eager, cash in hand. He told me that he has a deal with the bank that they don't teach trombone lessons and he doesn't cash checks. And I set up a camera in his living room so that I could record the trombone lesson. And at the end of the lesson, I said, Mr. Trombone, is there any way that we could do this again? Just totally expecting to be shut down. 
And he said, no, I really wouldn't want to do another lesson unless we can study every week. Unless we could study every week. And every week I went back to that teacher. And not only did it end in trombone lessons, but tickets to the symphony, and an incredible love of symphonic music that was born in my heart. It led to a changed life. It led to the first date with my wife at the Seattle Symphony. I put this much effort forward, and he poured out so much more in return. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more will be given. We give an inch, and he brings us a mile. Do you want to know the secrets of the kingdom of God? Stop calculating. Stop analyzing. We only come to know God's secrets in God's way. Turn to him in faith. Do you want to get warm? Come near the fire. Stop talking about the mechanics of God and fall in love with the person of God. Presume upon his generosity to share the secrets of the kingdom. Little flock, do not fear, for that is the Father's great pleasure. Let's pray. May your spirit help our hearts to take courage. Cause us full of faith, the weak of knees, to draw near to you, O Lord. Relying on the promises that our tiny, minuscule efforts cannot be, be, be compared with the surpassing worth of knowing you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.